Hello, and welcome to the Bizarre and Fascinating Details podcast. I'm your host, Sarah, and I've got a very special guest on the show today. She has previously been on several of my podcasts. We've got Nurse Sam. Say hello, Nurse Sam. Hello, everyone. So why don't you tell us a little bit of your background? Like, how long have you been in the medical field? Uh, I've been in the medical field for 12 years. Wow. Yeah, that's a long time. So Sam has some pretty extensive expertise. And you worked in the emergency room, correct? Yeah, for 11 of the 12 in a couple different cities. So Sam has seen a lot of different stuff, medically speaking, and she's seen a lot of crime victims in the ER as well. So um, that's why we have her on the show today to kind of lend her opinion. Plus, she is a friend of mine from way back, and I always enjoy getting together with Sam and just chatting about crime and medical stuff and all kinds of other different things. So I'm so excited to have her on the show today. Um, she's going to step in for two episodes for me. And today's episode, we're going to talk about some follow-ups on some existing cases that we've got going on. We previously talked about Lori Vallow, and she has been in the news a little bit lately as her trial is winding through the court system. But the most recent is Idaho cult mom Lori Vallow wants case dismissed over speedy trial concerns after a 1,169 days in jail. Have you seen this? No, that sounds, what is that, like over three years in jail? That's what she says, but evidently she asked the Idaho judge Stephen Boyce in a motion to dismiss her case because she's already spent over a thousand days in jail for her alleged role in the murders of her two children, as well as her husband's ex-wife, Tammy Daybell. And Vallow's defense team is arguing that the court has violated her right to a speedy trial. Thus, she should just, all the charges, everything should be dismissed. She's got a joint murder trial going on with her husband, Chad Daybell, and it was initially set for 2021, but it's been delayed multiple times, mostly due to her competency issues. They had to have some examinations and evaluations on her because she was initially deemed incompetent to stand trial. Um, and then there was the coronavirus pandemic. So the first trial setting in this case was set for October 11th, 2022, which was within six months of April 19th, 2022. But then the government asked for more time and the court granted the request and set the trial for January 9th, 2023. Evidently, she's saying this violates her right to a speedy trial. So the motion to dismiss includes a timeline of events in her case, including her initial arrest in Hawaii, which was February 2020. So she's been in there for a while now. She was held on a $5 million bond at that point. Her indictment was May 2021. Her arraignment was April 2022. And the first trial setting of, for the indictment was October 2022. The second trial setting on the indictment in January 2023. And the trial setting on the indictment, which was scheduled for April of this year, has totaled about 1,169 days in prison. Her defense argues in the motion that her constitutional rights including her right to be presumed innocent and her right to a speedy trial have been ignored by the government. In the meantime, Daybell has waived his rights to a speedy trial, her hubby, and has asked the state to delay the trial set for April in Fremont County. The court will hold the hearing to discuss this motion and other different things that she's proposing on February 9th, so a couple weeks from now. She and her husband are charged with murdering Vallow's two children, seven-year-old Joshua J.J. Vallow and 17-year-old Tylee Ryan, around September 2019, when the two children disappeared. So Chad and 
his beautiful wife, Lori, married in November 2019. At that point, they allegedly collected JJ and Tylee's social security benefits between October 1st, 2019 and January 22nd, 2020, after the two had been murdered. The children were missing for several months when the police say the couple lied about the children's whereabouts and then slipped away to Hawaii before the bodies were found on Chad Daybell's property in rural Idaho. The couple were indicted in May 2021 on multiple counts of conspiracy to commit first-degree murder and grand theft by deception, as well as first-degree murder and conspiracy to commit first-degree murder related to the deaths of Tylee JJ and as well Chad Daybell's ex-wife. Tammy. Arizona officials in June 2021 also indicted Vallow in the July 2019 murder of her ex-husband Charles Vallow. So her, her brother shot Charles, her ex-husband. So I don't know if you're kind of aware of this case. I remember, now that you've said that, I remember listening to it. Super twisted. And yeah. it's got like a ton of national attention and like a lot of crime television episodes and documentaries. Dable has written apocalyptic novels based loosely on Mormon theology. And then both he and Tammy were, or he and Lori, excuse me, were involved in a group that promoted preparedness for biblical end times. These two bonded over their religious beliefs, initially meeting in 2018, appeared together for the first time in a podcast discussing theories about the end of the world. So initially there was the murder of her husband by her brother. And then there was the murder of Chad Daybell's ex-wife. Then there was the two children. So this one has a, and I guess her brother as well died of a heart attack or something of that nature not long after. So like people are dropping like flies around Lori. If you want more details on that episode, go back and listen to the episode that we did on Lori Vallow. But I mean, should she be able to get off the hook because she thinks that she hasn't received a speedy trial? I mean, COVID has really done a number on the legal system, right? Absolutely. Like, this is insane. Absolutely not. No, you can't just run around killing people and then be like, oh, well, sorry, you didn't do it fast enough. No. That's insane. I should be able to be out of jail and a free woman. That just shows you how cuckoo she is. Yes, she's nuts. And who's the lawyer having to say this out loud? Like, are they cringing as it comes out of their mouth? Probably. Insane. Anyway, sorry. I've got absolutely no sympathy or compassion for this particular case because I feel like these two have just gone so far over the edge with their belief system that it's just you cannot use your religious belief system to make people disappear it's just nuts yeah no so we will heard about the end of times make yourself disappear do us all a favor and save us money seriously and the fact that they collected um benefits on the children after they knew that they killed them is even worse, right? Yeah, that's, yeah, it's just, it's insane. Yeah. And the fact that they think that, you know, the, the, some of the, like, the, the, the kooky theories that they had, like the world was going to end in July 2021, and just, I don't know. It, we'll definitely keep the listeners posted as that case continues to unfold. It's interesting that she's saying, hey, I've got a violation because I'm not getting my right to a speedy trial in time, but he's waiving that right. Wait, who's he? he who's her husband. Right? Her oh. husband, Chad Daybell, is waiving that right. And this is a joint trial, so I don't know how that's all going to play out. So he's he's saying the heck, he's waiving it, and she's trying to fight it. Right. So she's saying it's a violation of her, her rights, and he's saying, I'm waiving it, I don't care. Yeah. So. I wonder if they have the same lawyer. Do mm, they? I don't think so. Next 
article that I found was I have covered the case of Anna Sorokin slash Anna Delvey. Do you know who that is? No. So essentially she's this uh, German or Russian born woman who claimed to be a German heiress and basically scammed a bunch of people for money. And she was convicted for theft. She had applied for a bunch of loans based on fake documents that's, that she provided saying she was an heiress and got a bunch of loans and didn't repay any of the loans. So she was convicted of that and she spent time in jail and now she's being held because they want to deport her because she's not a U.S. citizen. So oh, she's in the U.S. Yes, correct. So she was in New York. The whole thing was she scammed all these like upper crust New York folks into believing she was an heiress to get money. She went to jail and she was doing interviews from her home on house arrest. And now she's got a new reality show coming out. So evidently she's going to star in this new reality show called Delvey's Dinner Club while on house arrest. So she became the subject of Netflix inventing Anna. You probably didn't watch that. (laughs) <laughs> after she yeah. posed as a wealthy German heiress named Anna Delvey while living in New York City, she announced this last week that she's going to start an unscripted reality series where she is under house arrest. The show currently titled Delvey's Dinner Club is going to follow her, she's 32, in her East Village apartment as she hosts a collection of actors, musicians, founders, socialites, journalists, and for more private invite-only dinner parties. The intimate evenings will be catered by private chefs and feature equally intimate conversations about Anna's experience within the criminal justice system, her strategy to rebuild her image, and her plans for the future, according to a press release. So for four years, this Russian-born surrogate used a fake persona to spend invalid credit cards and issue fake fake bank statements. She bounced from hotel to hotel and stole an estimated $275,000. She was arrested in October 2017. Following a sting operation, was found guilty of eight charges, including attempted grand larceny in the first degree, grand larceny in the second degree, grand larceny in the third degree, and theft of services. This was all in April 2019. She was released early from prison in February 2021 before she was taken into custody by U.S. Immigration and Customs Enforcement after overstaying her visa. She chose to spend 18 months in immigration detention instead of returning to Europe. Since she's been released, she's been barred from joining social media and must use electronic monitoring. So this Delvey's Dinner Club that she is supposed to be in is partnering with Butternut who is a lifestyle-focused media company from Wheelhouse, led by former president of the Food Network, Courtney White. There is nothing like the experience of bringing together a curated group of friends to share life stories and enjoy great culinary experiences, she said in a statement. I'm grateful for the opportunity to work with Wheelhouse and Butternut to bring my vision to a wider audience and share a glimpse of the real Anna Delvey. So her Netflix series... Inventing Anna starred Julia Garner as Sorokin premiered February 2022, and she was reportedly paid about $320,000 for the rights to adapt her life story, money that she said she's used to pay her restitution. So what do you think? (laughs) Um, Who's agreeing to go to her house for dinner? I want to know who the celebrities and whatnot are going to be like. I mean, I've kind of got two viewpoints on this case. One is... I mean, she is a hardened criminal, clearly. Like, she felt no compassion, no remorse about stealing money from a number of different individuals. So she spent her time in jail. But 
On the other hand, she spent her time in jail. She's repaying. She's making money to pay the restitution that she owes. So, I mean, she's trying to make up for it. I mean, she had lofty aspirations. And, you know, I kind of get that. So I have some degree of sympathy for her. But on the other hand, it's like someone with absolutely no real talent (laughs) is what she is. If you look at her pictures, they look like a sixth or seventh grader drew them, basically. But, I mean, her talent is manipulating people. Is stealing. Right. I mean, Basically. you can, if you can steal that much, I mean, not to say that she's smart for it, but. They should have deported her is what they should have done. Sure. But, you know. But in the meantime, she scammed so many people. Yeah. So I don't know who would come to her house for dinner. I mean, you'd come in, in like yoga pants and a shirt and hope to leave with that at that point. <laughs> Right. Better check all your jewelry and your purse and your wallet before you leave. <laughs> I don't know. I mean, I feel like there's nothing this woman won't stoop to to try to extend her 15 minutes of fame. Well, yeah, I I don't know. And the I fact mean, that somebody, a legit person, is sponsoring this effort and paying money to like bring cameras into this woman's home is just blows my mind. Well, are you grasping at straws at that point? I mean, come on. I, don't know. <laughs> I guess so. I've never tried to make a TV show, so I'm not sure. But yeah, well, I mean, anybody will do a TV show these days. It seems like. Yeah. Anyway, and then we've got the Elizabeth Holmes case, which we covered off on an earlier episode. Evidently, she bought a one-way ticket to Mexico. Prosecutors say, you know who she is, right, Elizabeth Holmes? I remember hearing the name because I listened to your podcast when I'm painting, so it might have been over the summer. <laughs> So Elizabeth Holmes had the company Theranos. She was aiming to create this blood testing system based on a couple of drops of blood and and revolutionized the medical industry. And it was all a scam too. None of her machines worked and she was bilking all these investors for thousands and thousands of dollars. But she was convicted and I believe she's sentenced to 11 years in prison. And she's trying to get out of it, obviously. She's appealing everything, but... A new court filing by the U.S. government opposing Elizabeth Holmes' motion for release pending appeal shows that Holmes bought a one-way ticket to Mexico set to leave weeks after her fraud conviction. Holmes, the founder of the shuttered blood testing company Theranos, was convicted on January 3rd in 2022 on four counts of wire fraud for defrauding investors out of millions of dollars. I mean, but she was acquitted on four other charges and a mistrial was declared on three others. She was sentenced last November to over 11 years in prison and has appealed that decision. In response to her motion for release, prosecutors said in their filing Thursday that she purchased an airline ticket to Mexico and was scheduled to leave shortly after being convicted last January with no scheduled return. Prosecutors said in their filing that the government became aware on January 23rd of 2022 that Holmes had booked a flight to Mexico to depart January 26th of 2022 without a scheduled return trip. It was only canceled after the government raised the unauthorized flight with the defense. Holmes' partner, Billy Evans, had flown out on January 26th and didn't return for six weeks. The government anticipates defendant will note in reply that she did not, in fact, leave the country as scheduled. 
but it is difficult to know with certainty what defendant would have done had the government not intervened, according to the filing. The government adds that Holmes failed to meet the burden of proving she was not a flight risk. The government emailed Holmes' legal team upon becoming aware of the potential trip to which they replied on the same day that the hope was that the verdict would be different and Miss Holmes would be able to make this trip to attend the wedding of a close friend in Mexico. The email obtained by ABC News continues that given the verdict, she does not plan to take the trip and therefore did not provide notice, seek permission, or request to access her passport, the government has her passport at the moment, for this trip. She had also not yet canceled the trip amidst everything that has been going on. We will have her do so promptly and will provide you confirmation. Holmes' surrender date of April 23rd is almost six months from when the judge delivered her sentence because she had informed the court she had become pregnant with her second child between the guilty verdict and the time of her sentencing hearing. The government argues that Holmes already has a generous amount of time before having to report to prison and therefore the court should not grant her motion for release pending her appeal, which is a process that could last years. The government also notes that while facing these serious felony charges awaiting her sentencing, Holmes has lived in an estate which reportedly cost more than $13,000 in monthly expenses for upkeep and alleges that Holmes continues to show no remorse for her victims. There are not two systems of justice, one for the wealthy and one for the poor. There is one criminal justice system in this country, and under that system, the time has come for Elizabeth Holmes to answer for her crimes committed nearly a decade ago, as found by a jury made up of a fair section of individuals from this community, and to begin serving the term of imprisonment imposed by this court as sufficient but not greater than necessary to account for the crimes. She got a ticket, a one-way ticket, and then tried to like backpedal and say, wait, 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 no, I was just going to go for a wedding. I was going to ask permission. Do you think she was going to try to take off? 110%. And isn't the guy she's with, or was that earlier in her life, like a millionaire? He or... is. He's an, a hotel heir. That's right. Okay. Yeah. No, she was going to jump ship. It's, it's like my kid with his hand in the M&M jar. Oh, mom, I wasn't going to take him. I was just counting them. Yeah, okay. And I, I totally identify with the government standpoint. It, it is almost as though she believes there's two separate systems of justice. One for like the normal people like us, and then one for the rich people. And rich people should be able to circumvent that system whenever they want because they have money. Well, clearly she can pay a lawyer to come up with these things, but, you know. And then, you know, I, I get her point as well. Um, she's appealing. And so she's not going to admit guilt and show remorse and all that until she's exhausted all of her appeals. Because in the event that she gets her appeal and she, you know, says, oh, my bad, I feel so bad and I'm showing remorse, then it's going to look funny. Um, but at the same time, like, a little bit of compassion goes a long way. There were a lot of people that got really seriously screwed over by this woman. And, and even just littler victims in the background who may have, you know, had issues related to this blood system that incorrectly diagnosed them. Yeah. How many appeals do you get? Like, is there a limit? Um, there is actually, I mean, you can exhaust all of your appeals, but you have to do it on certain grounds. So she has to find certain grounds with, I believe mistake of law or if new exculpatory evidence comes forward. Um, there's, there's a limited range of things that can be used for grounds for appeal. And gotcha. once she's exhausted all of those, then technically her appeals will be exhausted. But I don't think she's gotten that far yet down the road. But she, it's also interesting that she feels she should be free and able to walk around 
while most other people in, in similar circumstances would be in custody for that time. Yeah. How, so, she, I mean, she got out on that based on probably having the money to get lawyers and stuff. Oh, yeah. I mean, she could afford the best legal care because she's got a husband who's independently wealthy. Right. And to say, oh, who takes a six-week trip to Mexico just for a wedding? That's what I was thinking, too. No, he was buying her a house and setting her up so then she could escape and, like, have her second baby somewhere. Yeah, but on the other hand, like, she's high profile. It's not like she could just disappear. You know what I mean? Well, I don't know. Do you ever go to the DMV? Government doesn't So there was the yoga instructor that killed the cyclist and she went and had plastic. She escaped to Mexico, went and had plastic surgery and basically was on the run for months. Did she ever come back to the U.S.? They found her. Like They ended up tracking her down in Mexico and, and extradited her back to the U.S. And that's another case that we covered on the show. But that's kind of what I was thinking. Was she planning on getting some sort of plastic surgery to kind of blend in and hide? And it's interesting. Like she definitely has not come off as a very sympathetic individual. And I think that, you know, the whole having of the babies to try to garner that sympathy from, you know, the American public that are looking onto this case is kind of a, a low blow. And if she really does go to prison for 11 years, what's going to happen to those poor kids? Well, they can sit with her rich husband. Ugh. People have babies in jail all the time. Yeah. It's, it's an interesting case. And I'm, they could turn around and give her more jail time if, oh, she gets her, if she gets a retrial. That's ridiculous. Yeah. So she's got to be careful with herself. She probably wouldn't get that, I wouldn't guess, but... No. Next article. So we did cover off on the Idaho murders of the four students in Moscow, Idaho. Have you ever been to Moscow, Idaho? No. Yeah, I've never been there either. I've been to a lot of small towns in Idaho. It sounds like this is a medium to large size town, though, because it's got the university there. But we yeah. did cover off on that case a couple of weeks ago. And I just wanted to make one correction to the existing podcast that was uh, released in that initially I did a lot of research on this. And I thought that the male victim was a roommate and he was actually the boyfriend of one of the girls and not an actual roommate. He just was staying the evening that night. But I was kind of interested as well. I saw this article that talks about what the search warrant revealed and I was kind of curious what they found, but Idaho murders search warrant reveals what police found in suspect's apartment. There was a pillow with a reddish brown stain, a collection of dark red spotting, a disposable glove, and at least a dozen strands of hair. These are some of the items that investigators seized from the apartment of 28-year-old Brian Koberger, the former doctoral student charged with killing four University of Idaho students, according to a search warrant released on Wednesday, January 18th. The warrant was served December 30th, the same day Koberger was arrested at his family home in Pennsylvania. Included in the items taken from this man's apartment in Pullman, Washington, which I'm familiar with because I'm from Washington State, according to the warrant were a stained mattress cover, a computer tower, various receipts, a dust container from a Bissell Power Force vacuum cleaner, a fire TV stick, a cord and plug, and what's described as one possible animal hair strand. And that's interesting because there was a dog on the murder scene. The other hair samples aren't specifically identified as human in the warrant signed by Washington State University Assistant Police Chief Don Daniels, nor does the document divulge if any had been tested. 
Investigators said that it's likely that the person who killed the four students would have been spattered by blood in the aftermath of the November 13th massacre in the small town of Moscow, Idaho. Four days after Ethan Chapin, and that's the one that I thought was a roommate, who is not. I later confirmed he was just staying the night. He was the boyfriend of one of the other girls who was murdered. But four days after Ethan Chapin, Madison Mogan, Zana Cronoodle, and Kaylee Goncalvez were found slain, uh, Lataw County Coroner Kathy Mubbutt said they were likely attacked with a large knife and died from multiple stab wounds. Police also searched Koberger's office at WSU, where he'd been working on a PhD in criminal justice and was a teaching assistant, but did not seize anything the documents reveal. The quadruple murder shocked the country and stymied police for seven weeks before this man was arrested. He has not yet entered a plea to killing the students, but the four charges of first-degree murder carry sentences that can include life in prison or the death penalty. The document describing the physical evidence seized from Koberger's apartment came in the wake of revelations that the police had used male DNA found on a leather knife sheath found at the crime scene and matched to samples found in the garbage of the suspect's family home in Pennsylvania. This allowed them to link the WSU grad student to the killings. Police have not found what they believe to be the murder weapon yet, nor have they revealed a motive. He's expected to face preliminary hearings in June of 2023. So, yikes. Talk about a scary case. I mean, this guy stalked these these girls in this house for months leading up to this. Do you think it's an incel kind of a situation where this guy was like picked on or like didn't get the kind of female attention he thought he deserved? And so this is like his quote unquote revenge against women as a whole. Did it say that he stalked them? Yes. Oh. His phone, his cell phone pinged off towers in the location of the house multiple times prior to the incident. And they also believe that due to his familiarity with the house and his ease of moving around, that he had probably been inside of the house as well at one point. Huh. I don't know. I don't know if he was like, because with that degree, you think, was he trying to see like if he could get away? Like, is he just nuts or... Yeah, was he like... I mean, I think he was fascinated with true crime. I mean, he was obviously doing thesis work trying to determine, like, motivating factors for crime and how people felt and what they were seeking, trying to perhaps maybe understand his own urges. Yeah, maybe. I don't... I don't know. I mean, my first... My first thing isn't, like, revenge of the nerds, but uh, more... (laughs) Revenge of the nerds. Could he get away with it, you know? I don't know. Um, it's an interesting case, and I wonder if the motive will ever be revealed. I mean, there is a good possibility that he just will keep his mouth shut and not say anything. Yeah. Does Idaho... Will he, so he'll be tried in Idaho, correct? Yes. Does Idaho carry the death penalty? Yes. He could get the death penalty. Huh. I don't think he's going to get the death penalty. I mean, they'll probably... He'll probably plea, do a plea bargain somewhere for something in order to get it down to life in prison. Yeah. But it's an interesting case, and I did cover off on it a few weeks ago. Very, very sad, though. I mean, four oh, it's promising students at home sleeping in their own beds. And it's, it's even more curious that the two other female potential victims in that house survived with, without having any contact with this guy, other than the one that kind of opened a door and saw him out there. I'm also baffled that the one that saw him didn't think to check or call the police that just blows my mind and I know you know I'm not trying to blame victims or anything like that but if I was in that same position and I was in a house and I saw some dude with a freaking mask on 
walking by at two o'clock in the morning, I would call somebody. So I didn't know that. There are people who were in the house that survived. There are two roommates that were in the house that survived. One had no contact with him and just slept through the whole thing. Probably she had her door locked. And there was the one roommate who heard something, opened her door, and saw Brian Koberger, presumably Brian Koberger, leaving the house. A, a somewhat slim man with bushy eyebrows and a mask on leaving the house through a sliding glass window. And she also heard somebody say something like, there's someone here. And then a male voice saying, it's okay, I'm here to help or something to that effect. I wonder though, if fight or flight, they just, she just like locked the door and thought, here we go. Well, there's two things that I kind of have a theory about here that number one, like it's kind of a party house, right? And I remember being in college and I remember having keggers and all kinds of other parties and going to parties at houses where people would be coming and going at all hours of the night. I remember one time we had a kegger and somebody was, we had two guys knocking on the bathroom window at three or four o'clock in the morning asking if we could give them some more beer, if there was any beer left in the keg, even though we shut the party down at like two. So like huh. maybe it was that kind of a situation where it's just kind of normal for friendly people to be coming and going from the house to socialize or whatever. And that it wasn't a big deal. Yeah. And then secondarily speaking, it's three, four o'clock in the morning. Maybe she was half asleep and didn't really register what she was actually seeing or hearing. Yeah. Cause I, I've definitely had moments, especially when you first go to sleep where like you hear something and you wake up and you look around and, and then you just think you're dreaming and you go back to sleep. Yeah. So those are like the only things that I can think that to justify that sort of thing. If if I was awake and, and coherent, like on my phone and heard something like that and saw something like that, I would immediately go either one, check on what happened with a baseball bat or some kind of a weapon or number two, call the police or at least call somebody that could come in and look at the house with me, like a, a, a relative right. or somebody to come look with me. Yeah. We will continue to keep everyone posted on that one as it continues to unfold. I can't imagine the guilt. Oh, yeah. I'm sure like, she just feels you know what I mean? horrible. Like, oh, my gosh. But my guess is, is those were the only two that had their doors locked, number one. Or, number two, he knew specifically who he was going to target. And those two weren't targets. The two that survived. So the last article that I want to cover off on is one that I covered off on last week. And that was the case of that missing Cohasset woman, Anna Walsh. So I don't know if you're familiar with that case as well. Mm -mm. This woman had, um, she was married to this man who was going through some fraud charges. He had evidently stolen a couple of paintings from a college roommate. Uh, they were, I believe, Andy Warhol paintings. And then sold them to a couple of different people after he'd made forgeries and just presented the forgeries to them rather than the actual original paintings. So there's a whole bunch of theft and fraud and different things going on in the background. He was awaiting, he was convicted on that, pled guilty, and was awaiting sentencing when his wife, Anna, disappeared. Now, he claims that she had gone on a business trip because she worked out of Washington, D.C., and they had a house outside of Boston. And they were kind of, she was splitting her time between the house with her two boys or no, her three sons and her husband and her job in Washington, D.C. So the husband on New Year's said his wife got up early and said she had an emergency meeting in Washington, D.C. and that he hadn't seen her since. But no one has seen her after Christmas or after New Year's Day. So 
The police, though, have found blood in the basement. They found a bloody knife. They found all kinds of clues. And here's kind of the article that talks about the latest on it. And I think I had a correction for this one as well. In any case, um, DNA evidence search history led to murder charges for husband of missing Cohasset woman. So the last time that I was on the podcast, there were just charges related to him lying about his whereabouts in the preceding days of her disappearance. Now they actually have charged him with murder. So DNA evidence that links a missing Cohasset woman to bloody clothes and shoes left in a Swamp Scott dumpster have led the state to charge her husband with murder. Brian Walsh, husband of missing woman Anna Walsh, was arraigned in Quincy District Court on Wednesday, this last week, on charges of murder and improper disinterment of a body. The assistant district attorney, Lynn Ballon, said it was DNA evidence on a pair of slippers, clothes, and a disposable suit that led investigators to believe Brian Walsh dismembered and discarded his wife's body. Anna Walsh, the mother of three young boys, was last seen on New Year's Day and was reported missing a few days later. Her husband was arrested on January 7th and charged with misleading a police investigation. The murder and disinterment charges were added Tuesday after DNA testing showed both Brian and Anna's DNA on several pieces of bloodied evidence. Prosecutors say a series of Google searches about hiding and dismembering bodies led to the additional charges. Walsh will be held without bail until a status hearing on February 9th. His attorney, Tracy Minor, did not argue for bail. Court has also impounded several documents in the case, including Walsh's murder arrest warrant, the Massachusetts State Police affidavit supporting the warrant, and the affidavit explaining the reason for the impoundment. Evidently, he'd done an internet search on December 27th, saying, what is the best date to divorce for a man? Rather than divorce, it is believed that Brian Walsh dismembered Anna Walsh and discarded her body. The authorities also say that Brian Walsh Googled things like how long before a body starts to smell, can you throw away body parts, and 10 ways to dispose of a dead body if you really need to. This was the last day his wife was seen. Surveillance footage also showed Walsh buying several rugs at home goods stores on January 2nd, as well as cleaning products, a tarp, a Tyvek suit, and a hatchet at Home Depot in Rockland. That same day, Walsh searched for hacksaw, best to dismember, can you be charged with murder without a body, and can you identify a body with broken teeth? On January 3rd, Walsh is accused of visiting apartment complexes in Albington and Brockton to dispose of more than a dozen large trash bags. Authorities say Walsh is on surveillance video throwing trash bags into the complex's dumpsters. He's leaning in and it appears to be heavy and he had to heave it into the dumpster, say the prosecutors. The bags disposed of in Abington and Brockton were picked up by trash collectors on their regular schedule and incinerated. That same day, it is said that Brian searched for what happens to hair on a dead body and can baking soda mask or make a body smell good. The next day, January 4th, Police visited Walsh's home and found his Volvo with the seats down and a plastic liner inside. The next day, police said it appeared Walsh had vacuumed the carpet. Later analysis found traces of blood in the car. On January 5th, they say Walsh visited the Swampscott apartment complex where his mother lives and discarded more trash into the dumpster. Ten bags were tossed in Swampscott and they were recovered by police and taken to Peabody where they were searched. The bags included rugs, cleaning products, the boots Anna Walsh was last seen wearing, a hacksaw, her Prada purse, a piece of a necklace she had been wearing, towels, and a COVID-19 vaccine card in her name. Inside the trash bags, many of these items contained stains consistent with blood. In fact, a lot. The bags found in Swampscott contained Anna's property and the items used to clean up, as well as DNA that was left behind. On January 8th, police and crime scene services searched the Walsh's Cohasset home. 
They found blood in the basement, a knife with presence of blood, and the knife was damaged. A second knife was also found in the basement, say authorities, were, and that was where the tarps were found. I mean, come on. <laughs> when I did this episode, I was like, it is so obvious to me <laughs> that this guy killed his wife. That's ridiculous. I mean, maybe it's listening to like these podcasts. They can see your internet search. Like, what? You can't just search these things and like not think anyone ever is going to find it. And then to smart to put her body in different places. And I didn't know they incinerated trash. I didn't either. Because, I mean, I know they do like in other countries and in other places, but I didn't know we did that in the U.S. I didn't either. But evidently, um, this case just reminds me so much of the Jennifer Dulos case. And how he also presumably cut her up so that the body couldn't be found and identified. And it's just, it's terrifying to think that this person is never going to be seen again. And her, they're never going to find her body parts because he chopped her up. Like, yeah. how's her family going to have a funeral for this poor woman? And what's even more terrifying to me is I looked up her Instagram account and, like, she just looks like you or I. Typical posts, like just an average sort of a woman. She's, she was intelligent. She was driven. She was, you know, very tenacious and inspiring and just wanted to do good things in the world. And, and now she's just erased off the face of the planet by this man who I think she had gone to him and told him, I want a divorce. I'm done with this. And he was like, I'm not dealing with this. Because people say that she had a big secret that was supposed to be coming out and that their the relationship between these two was a little tenuous. And if you look at her Instagram account, there's no pictures of them together for like yeah. the last year and a half. I mean, I think she was getting ready to divorce him. Why would she stay with him? I know he's the father of her children, but the guy was a criminal, convicted criminal, was not likely going to spend time in jail until there was information that was brought to the attention of the authorities about how he had embezzled money from his father's estate. So he potentially could have been getting jail time. So this guy's not contributing anything financially to the household, is a convicted criminal, and will likely get jail time after the prosecution found out about the additional charges. They were going to let him off the hook because Anna had wrote letters about him to the, to the authorities saying he's a good guy, he's the father of my children... I am vouching for him, not knowing that he had done all these naughty things in the background with his own father's estate. So it was likely that he, you know, initially was not going to get jail time. But once they found out that additional information, he was probably going to get jail time. So here's this woman who's at this crossroads. I don't want to be with this person anymore. Like he's not contributing anything. He's doing nothing but dragging me down. And I think she wanted a divorce. But if she wanted a divorce, then why was he looking up when's the best time to get a divorce? No, he was looking up best states to get a divorce for the father. Like the most favorable states oh, to get a divorce in. Okay. So there had to have been some stirring, some conversation, something about divorce. Yeah. And he was trying to protect himself. And and granted. He's not convicted. They've just filed charges against him. So, you know, we have to wait until the court case plays out. But it's not looking too good for this guy. Well, no, clearly, you know, he did it. But I don't know the motive and all that. When the story, if the story ever shakes out, it'll be interesting. Well, if these two can afford two homes, one in D.C. and one in Boston, and she's paying for everything, she's got to be making really good money. So there goes his meal ticket. If she divorces him, what's he going to do? 
Oh, I missed that part. I didn't know she was the one. She's the breadwinner. She was the primary breadwinner. And he technically, they said he stayed at home to raise the children, right? He was a stay at home dad. Okay. But he really, the evidence shows that he really didn't contribute much during the course of their marriage to begin with. I believe they were married for about seven years. And this guy's a criminal. He's a convicted criminal, like art theft and all kinds of other stuff. So he's in the background trying to scam people and make money that way. And she's out there legitimately working her butt off to support their family and making a good income, obviously, if they can afford two homes in two separate states. Yeah. Hmm. So, interesting stuff. But um, unless you have anything else to add, we're, we should go ahead and wrap the episode up for the day. No, but those are, it's so interesting to think why people do the things that they do. No, nothing else to it's add. It's shocking <laughs> to me that people think they can get away with these sorts of things today. Yeah, With the wild. DNA evidence that's out there and the technology that's there. Like, yeah. it's got to be like an incredible level of narcissism to believe that you're smart enough to get away with something like that. That's true. It would have to be narcissism because I'm sitting here like, there's no way like there's, you would get caught every time. Like, no, there's no way, but you're right. You would have to, uh, you would have to think like, Oh, I'm so great. Yeah. I'm just so clever. No one's ever going to catch me. Yeah. Anyway, um, all the articles that we've used on the show today will be posted in the show notes as well as any references for anything that we used for the show today. If you want to hear more about any of these stories, please go check out our previous episodes for the full details on all these good informational stories And please join us again next week when we talk more about weird, wacky, and wild stories. Good night, podcast peeps. Stay safe, keep it real, and always live your very best life. Bye!